This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. My name is Mike Petriello. I'm a writer and researcher at MLB.com. Joined by Matt Meyer as MLB.com National Content Editor. Today is Friday, February 3rd. We are in the middle of the winter. We're going to talk about Jazz Chisholm being named the cover athlete for the MLB The Show video game. Matt and I are going to pick apart some team war projections that we feel are too high or too low. We're going to talk about the MLB Pipeline Top 100. We're going to try to talk about Michael Waka and maybe the Angels and get into next year's top 10 players. Matt, I feel like in some sense we are maybe, um, you know, paying for our joy. I think on this very show in December, I expressed pleasure at the perfect pace of the offseason, right? Slow November. December was great. Everything got kind of finished up in January. And now here we are in February. And we're going to end up having to talk about Michael Walker. Because like, there's no, like, I'm ready. I'm ready for spring training to start. I'm ready for the WBC. And um, I, I didn't quite think about this part in December when I was like, this is great. We're not going to have anybody who won't sign until March. Wonderful. And yet here we are. It definitely crossed my mind at the time, but, you know, I'll take it. And we are so close to baseball things happening. You know, spring training starts soon. Then we get the World Baseball Classic. So, like, it's we are we're getting there. So it's it's soon and soon we will have we will have no shortage of things to discuss. And today, you know, as always, we'll figure it out. You and I can always find something to talk about in the baseball world. So last week, uh, it was announced that Jazz Chisholm was going to be the cover athlete on the new copy of MLB The Show. I had no heads up about this. It just sort of landed in, on Twitter. And I was like, oh, that's that's pretty cool. Um, he's definitely a guy you want to you know have uh, being at the forefront of the game. He's someone you want to promote. You know, in, Exciting athlete. Seems like a great person. I was, I was surprised it was him and not Julio Rodriguez. Because that, that would have been like my number one guess. Because if you look at the last couple of years, right? Uh, starting in 2018, it's been Judge, Harper, Javi Baez, Tatis, and Otani last year. So you're not going to repeat any of those guys. And I think the number one like superstar I would have thought of outside of those guys, aside maybe Mookie Betts or someone, but J-Rod seemed to be like the guy. And they went with Chisholm, which is cool. Again, like I, I think it's cool because he's also was just in the news like a week prior moving the center field, which we can talk about. It's interesting to me because it's a little bit of a uh, a bet on future performance. Uh, his first two years in the majors were not that great. Last year he was really good, but only for sixty months, sixty games. And then he hurt his back. So we don't really have a Madden cover curse in baseball the way they do in football. Although I guess Tatis kind of exploded after that, and Baez <laughs> didn't do so well. So maybe I'm turning my own opinions around here. Um, but it's a little bit of a bet on a on a team that's not like high profile and a guy who has not yet had a great full season yet. And I think that's really interesting. I th- yeah, he's his career. You know, he was it, last year, as you noted, he was off to such a great start that it felt like that was his ascension year of like, okay, here's a new young star, and he was great. But the year before, he was pretty uneven. I think he had an OPS plus below 100, but he had some moments, right? He had to get that game where he like he like 
took Degrom. He was like one of the like he hit like a hundred and three mile an hour pitch from Degrom out for awesome. a home run. It was kind of like, oh, yeah. this guy, this guy's different. I mean, he was having his moments last year. I mean, I went to one Marlins game last year in Miami. It was the game where like the the ump told him to get back in the box, and then like the next pitch he hit a home run and did like the euro step over the plate. Like, it's cool. But then now, what's crazy about it now? It's like, and obviously the makers of the show did not know this, but it's like not only he's changing positions and it's hard to know really what, what to expect. I mean, it was when that trade went down, that Luis Arise trade, that Marlins getting Luis Arise trading Pablo Lopez to the twins, uh, along with a couple of prospects. It was just kind of like, Oh yeah, by the way, also jazz Chisholm's going to center field. And it was like, wait, that's almost as big of a deal in my opinion, as them getting a rise. Um, because it could really change the complexion of his career. Yeah. Fortunately for the, uh, video game it doesn't actually come out until right before opening day so they have plenty of time to say okay he's going to be a center fielder but if you looked at the publicity pictures it was still showing him on the dirt so i have to take that back uh i I talked about this briefly last week while you were out but then i spent a little bit more time looking into it kind of wanted to know were there any good examples of this a little bit ironic that the new marlins manager is uh, skip schumacher who is someone who actually played a lot of second base and center field in the majors so that's someone he can work with but I went back to the start of the wildcard era. So this is 1995. And I wanted to look just 100 games. Like, who are the guys who managed to play 100 games, both at second base and center field? And there's only 17, but 16 of them don't count. Yes, I'm eliminating like an entire list here. Why? Because a lot of them are just, you know, utility guys, guys who played everywhere. You know, Kike Hernandez, Chris Taylor, those kind of guys. Uh, you know, Alexei Amarista, you know, the peak utility play everywhere sort of guys. I guess I'm going to say 15 and not 60 because there's two examples of actual position switchers. One of them is Craig Biggio, who's a Hall of Famer and obviously went started from catcher. So he's an entirely different animal there. Uh, and then the other one is uh, Cattell Marte, who has sort of bounced back and forth between the two positions and now seems to have you know settled at second base. It doesn't mean he can't do it. It just means there's not a lot of examples that have worked out. I mean, we saw Ian Desmond go from shortstop to center and that worked for like a minute and then he played first base for some reason uh, i remember when trey turner did it for like a couple of months when he first came up if you go back older school the best example i could find similar age ron gant now we're talking way back in the day this is the 80s he came up and he was a second baseman and a third baseman wasn't very good there so i think that's the difference chisholm's not being moved because he can't play the infield uh, he's being moved because they have an entire roster of second basemen and they do not have a shortstop. And the funniest part about this is, so the World Baseball Classic is coming up. He's actually going to play for Great Britain. Is he playing center field? No. Is he playing second base? No. He's going to be playing shortstop, which I think is you know his original position. It's where he probably wants to be. But that's kind of interesting to me. I, if I'm running the Marlins, I don't, I don't, for the sake of baseball, want to be the team that says, no, Jazz Chisholm, you can't go play in the World Baseball Classic. That's bad for baseball. But I'm kind of uneasy about him, you know, trying to learn a new position and then not playing in this position for a while. Mike, the official rosters have not been announced yet. So there's been a lot of murmurs about this, but we'll see. I'm I'm for the reasons you mentioned, I'm curious to see if he actually ends up playing playing shortstop in in the World Baseball Classic. I think it would be cool to see him playing. So uh, I, I'm rooting for it, but I'm curious to see how that actually that actually shakes out. I don't love this trend. I gotta say we've talked about this with with Tatis of like taking your best players and moving them. Like, I feel like you should be building. Now, the argument with Chisholm, which is like, he might actually be a better center fielder than he is a second baseman. And maybe that like this will unlock something in his career. But like, he's the best position player the Marlins have. So there's something that makes me a little uneasy about like, oh, we're going to rearrange things and move him instead of like building the team around where he suits us best. Oh, you got to make room for 
Joey Wendell to play shortstop. <laughs> because I think like a month ago we talked, I can't remember what we were going to talk about. It was some Marlins related topic. Uh, it was probably about like, do they have enough depth to trade their starting pitchers? I think that's probably what it was. And at the time, I think I entered that by saying, man, we just don't talk about the Marlins enough on this show. How long has it been since we've had a Marlins topic? Now we've had like five weeks in a row and we're going to talk about them again briefly and then potentially not for the next like entire year. Uh, and some of this happened last week. Matt was out and I spoke about it briefly, but there have been two Marlins trades. The Luisa Rise trade, which is now, uh, I think they completed that one like 10 minutes after we stopped our recording a couple weeks ago, which was unfortunate. And then a relief pitcher trade, uh, Richard Blyer to the Red Sox and Matt Barnes to the Marlins. And I guess at the least you can say whether or not you like any of these moves, they've been active, which I appreciate. You know, there are certain teams that are just sitting there and not doing much of anything, hoping things will improve internally. Like Colorado is probably a good example of that, right? The Marlins have been making moves. Do I like all the moves? I do not. Um, do I appreciate that they're trying something? Yes. Like signing uh, Gene Segura, great. Like, that's fine. Moving Chisholm to center, I think I like it a little better than Matt does, um, in part because Chisholm, I think, was the one who suggested it, and he seems all in. And it's not going to work if the guy doesn't want to do it. Trading Lopez for Arise, and that's even that's a little uh, simplistic because they also traded two prospects, and Jose Salas is a hitting prospect and a pretty good one. I think he was their number five prospect at the time. And they're, they shouldn't be trading hitting prospects away. Like what is, what is that? I think that's what gets me. And then we can go back and forth for like an entire year about, do you value, value batting average? Do you value contact rate? Do you value not striking out? That's fine. I don't want Louisa rise playing second base. Arise is second and Wendell is short and jazz in center. That's not good for the pitching staff. Like at, I I'm confused by the whole thing. I think exactly. I mean, I I love Luis Arise. I think that like it's I love a you know some variation in baseball. It's good to see some hitters like that. But uh, you know, he's been one of my favorite players for a few few years now, but just because he's different and he's also really good at what he does. But as you said, I mean, the Marlins infield they basically have three guys playing positions that like I don't want to say either they shouldn't be playing or they're out of position. Like they're moving Joey Wendell shortstop. He's a pretty good third baseman shortstop. I don't know. Gene Segura has been a second baseman for years. Now he's going to play third base. Louisa Rise, the twins had stopped playing him at second base. Now he's going to play second base and you're moving Jazz Chisholm to center field. It's like all these guys in positions that maybe they shouldn't be playing. And even if you are totally bullish on Arise, which I kind of am, they still don't really have power hitting. And I think that Arise works best. What I like is like he's a, you know, when you have a lineup of all power hitters, it's like kind of nice to have some hitters like that who mix things up that that make pitchers have to rethink their approaches and and, and challenge hitters differently. But he's not really complementing some, you know, power team here. It's a team of like, I don't even know how to describe what their hitters are because they don't really have any other <laughs> standout hitter. I mean, Gene Segura is also a contact hitter, I guess. Like, um, so it's just a, it's a weird fit. I was all for trading Lopez, and I think they actually, you know, in terms of in a vacuum, I think Arise is a, is a is a relatively good value for Lopez. That's it. They also gave up prospects, and they didn't really add to their weakness, which was power. And they might have created another weakness in making their defense worse. So I don't really love it from a big picture perspective for the Marlins. Uh, they stuck to their plan. They said at the beginning of the offseason that they really wanted to value contact, which is fine because they struck out way too much last year. The issue I have is I think they they kind of fell in love with the Cleveland Guardians model. You know, watching how that team succeeded last year, obviously, we're going to make a ton of contact. We're going to we're going to win games this way. But 
it's oversimplistic to just say that the Guardians won because make contact equals win games. So what did the Guardians have? Amazingly good starting pitching. Better than the Marlins have. What do they have on offense? A legit MVP candidate than Jose Ramirez, like a potential Hall of Famer. Uh, Andres Jimenez, who had a fantastic season. Steven Kwan, who had a really good season. Oh, and also, Cleveland played good defense. None of those things apply to the Marlins. I think that's where oh. I'm having trouble here. Oh, and the other thing, too. Cleveland plays in an awful division. <laughs> and it Marlins play the East. This is, this is a problem now. That was my next point. So you beat me to it. Uh, the other trade they made, it's not like earth shattering, but it was interesting at least. Um, they traded with the Red Sox. Matt Barnes, who had been a Red Sox since 2014 and had some really weird ups and downs in his career. I uh, came up, uh, he was going to be a starter. He was a dominant reliever at points. Uh, he was an all-star in 2021. Last year in 2022, so he's only 32 years old, gets off to just an absolutely wretched start. Yeah, meltdowns left and right. And then eventually he went... Uh, at the end of May on the injured list, he carried a 794 ERA at that time, and he missed like two months with a shoulder injury. And I don't think anybody noticed this, but when he came back, it was actually pretty decent, right? The last two months, his velocity was up 159 ERA, 20 strikeouts in 22 innings, and the Red Sox DFA'd him anyway, which I found really interesting because I don't look at this roster as being the kind of roster where we're so overstuffed with talent, we can't possibly find roster spots. They ended up trading him to the Marlins along with enough money to basically make the contracts a wash for Richard Blyer, who is useful. He's going to be 36. He strikes out nobody, but he's, you know, ground ball guy, soft tossing lefty. I actually did like this for the Marlins. If you're the Marlins, you want to try to find some interesting relievers that either help you out or that you can flip Richard Blyer, a soft tossing 36 year old is not going to change the trajectory of their season. If you think there's something left in Matt Barnes, which I kind of do, and if if there's one thing the team has done decently at, it's to develop pitching, right? And Matt Barnes just seems like the absolute all-time king of change of scenery guys right now. <laughs> like get him somewhere else. That was one I liked for Miami. Agree, one hundred percent. Like Barnes makes their bullpen better. You know, Blyer, interesting guy, but it, as you said, doesn't change the trajectory of their season. And Barnes might not either, but there's a chance that he does. In our next segment, we are going to talk about team war projections that seem too high or too low. And um, you won't be surprised to know that I think I'm going to say the Red Sox are too high. And it's a trade like this that's kind of part of it. I don't really understand much about their offseason. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back on the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. As we move into our three batter minimum, we talk about three interesting topics of the week. Matt and I have each picked a couple of teams. If you look at the Fangrass wins above replacement projections for 2023, we think are too high or too low. Um, Matt, I now see that you have cheated. You have picked two teams that are too low and um, you've broken the rules of our highly official game here. And I do not have two teams. So uh, I'm going to give you a hard time about that. Let's start with the ones that are too high. Okay. Um, you have 
decided that the Padres are rated too highly, which I find really interesting. Why is that? I think it's because it's when you look at the individual projections on fan graphs, and I can't, you know, it has Juan Soto projected as having the highest war in baseball, and Fernando Tatis Jr. in just 120 games, baking in his suspension, having the ninth highest war in baseball. And I can't say that, like, oh, there's no chance that happens, but I am skeptical of those two things. Um, I I think Juan Soto is, I mean, he's still one of the best hitters in baseball, but, like, last year was kind of a weird year for him. It felt like maybe he was almost, like, too passive, and his power numbers have sort of flatlined a little bit. He still walks as much as ever, but that's, like, his carrying skill right now is drawing walks, and I am a little skeptical of him as, like, the best player in baseball going forward into 2023. Like, if I were... I'm looking at the list of like the high, you know, the projections in war. It's like Soto, Judge, Julio Rodriguez, Mookie Betts, Adley Rutschman, Mike Trout, Juan Franco, Jordan Alvarez. Fernando. Like, I'm I'm just a little skeptical of that. And then Tatis, right? Like 120 games. You're basically they're saying on a per war per game basis, he's the best player in baseball, which may be true, but he hasn't played in a year. He's going to play right field. Like, I'm just a little skeptical of them on the high end. Hey, like I think it's a really talented team. Don't get me wrong, but if I'm looking at the what teams one to 30, I don't have the Padres number two. I just, well, I agree with you, but for different reasons. Um, I'm not worried about Soto at all. I, I think he's so young and so talented. Like, he would not be the first guy to get traded in the middle of a season somewhere new and take a minute to adjust. He's going to be fine. I'm with you on Tatis. I, I think it's funny because I feel like the conversation around him is I don't trust his power numbers from two years ago because then he got, you know, busted for PED stuff. I'm not that worried about that. It really seems clear it was to try to recover, not to help him, you know, produce i'm more worried about the shoulder he eventually did have shoulder surgery how many guys have we seen have shoulder surgery and then the power is not quite there and like you said he's going to learn a new position the other thing i I question the padres on just a little bit uh the back end of the rotation seems problematic to me right so you got darvish at the top and he's great but he's not getting any younger joe musgrove who i like blake snell who i don't like to watch pitch necessarily but he's a good pitcher I liked Nick Martinez more as the sixth starter than the fourth starter. I don't know if I trust Seth Lugo to actually make starts after he's been a reliever for so long. Like, are we are we buying this is the year that Jake Room and Adrian Morahone actually pull it together? That, that worries me a little bit. Um, but I, I like the bullpen. I like the lineup. Here's the real question for you about the Padres. How do you make it work when you've got Nelson Cruz and Matt Carpenter and Juan Soto, who will be an outfielder but should be a DH? That's going to be a fun combination of guys. Like, I, I don't know how all these parts are going to fit together, but I'm really excited to see that happen. Like, what if the Matt Carpenter we saw for two months last year, what if that's real? What if he really did change his game and he goes out and pops 30 home runs and plays all over the field? Like, that that could be really interesting. Am I saying that's going to happen? No. Um, but tell me you don't want to see, like, how that's going to work. No, I, I mean, it's an electric team, and there's they're going to be one of the more watchable teams. And I just, I'm... If I'm sort of making my rankings, I'm there's enough to make me skeptical about some of the some of the high end projections on that team. And yeah, as your point, like Seth Lugo is the fifth starter. Like we love Seth Lugo on this podcast, but like I have no idea if he can throw a hundred innings, let alone 140. And like it's and he's penciled in as their fifth starter right now. So I think that there's 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 some reasons to be a little a little skeptical. Do I think the Padres will be in the playoffs? Yes. Do I think they're the second best team in the playoff in the in baseball? No. My team that I have decided is too highly projected is, um, unsurprisingly, the Red Sox, partially because I teased it earlier, but also I think I've been kind of saying this on every show all winter. They are projected right now uh, to be the 14th best team. And this is with, it's including, 
a 3.3 wins above replacement projection from Masataka Yoshida. Uh, here's a question for you, Matt. Please don't cheat. Don't look it up. How many Red Sox catchers can you name? <laughs> if the answer is zero, I understand. Um, yeah, exactly. Rich, is, Rich, is Rich Gedman still there? Jason Veritek? <laughs> no. Um, Reese McGuire, Connor Wong, and non-roster invite Jorge Alfaro. That's a problem for me. Even though they're, they're those guys are projected for three wins above replacement. But I, I love projections. I believe in them. I'm taking the under on that. We all know their middle infield issues, right? Like Christian Arroyo and Enrique Hernandez. I actually liked the Alberto Mon- Alberto Mondesi trade. I thought that was a pretty interesting one. But I, I don't love Yoshida. Duvall's not a center fielder. Verdugo's your outfielder. How many innings are you getting from James Paxton and Chris Sale? Like we've talked about this a lot. This team is going to have an amazing trade deadline because they're going to have so many guys to trade, and I'm going to pick them fifth in the division. And I know Red Sox fans are mad about that. I'm very down on the projections here. I think I said this about the Red Sox last year. I was like, oh, they've got all these free agents, and they didn't really trade any of them. But maybe this this will be the year. Um, I agree with you on the Montezuma trade. That was an interesting, you know kind of take a flyer for them. I thought like that that was that was a fun trade. I think Yoshida is one of the most interesting players in baseball. I mean the projections, I mean, the projections love him. It's kind of it's almost it's shocking to me how you know, he's been an OBP machine in Japan which you know like so but like consistently low low to mid 400s and every projection I look at is like oh 380 390 and that's where you get this, you know, 3 to 4 war season from I'm a, I mean, that's like, you know, top 10 in the league, top five in the league at this point. I'm a little skeptical of that, but I'm very curious to see how it translates. I think it would, you know, it'd be interesting to see if it does. If it does, great. He could be a really exciting player. But uh, yeah, the it's, I think it's fair to be skeptical of the Red Sox. Uh, I have no idea what to expect from, what, what to expect from them this year. And they, I'm kind of with you. I think that they would, are probably the fifth team in that division. All right, so those were the teams that uh, we think the projections are too high on. We were each going to pick a team that the projections are too low on. Since you have two, <laughs> you might as well start. Which team are you higher on than the projections, say? Uh, the Astros. I mean, right now the Astros are projected as the, have the seventh most war in baseball. And it just, I mean, I, re- I recognize like some of this is my, is like a little bit of like vibes of just like, hey, have we not seen how they, how they, the Astros year in year out seem to just like create pitchers who are awesome, and that they 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 can lose uh, Justin Verlander and probably not skip a beat. Like did we see Christian Javier last year in the postseason? Like this team is just really good, and they still have I think four. You know, if you look at the individual player projections, they have four of the top twenty five. Altuve still there, Kyle Tucker, Bregman, Jordan Alvarez. You know, the bullpen's going to be deep and stacked. I'm just kind of like, I look again. I look at the the list of the teams above them. And I'm just like, ah, I think, you know, I recognize, as I said, the projections don't necessarily see all these things. They don't know, like, how good the, the Astros player development is. They're just looking at the specific players and their track records. But I look at the teams above them, and, um, you know, Blue Jays, Dodgers, Mets, Braves, Padres, Yankees. Like, I don't know. I'm not sure if I'd take any of those teams over the Astros. I don't disagree with you at all. I can at least explain what's happening here, right? Removing a Justin Verlander is not nothing. That's obviously going to hurt. He's he's Justin Verlander. He just won the side. And in the lineup, they have two pretty big black holes projection-wise, right? Catcher was ratchet last year, at least at the plate. You know, Martin Maldonado, all the credit in the world for playing defense. 
he's not getting younger. He's not hitting at all. So the projections look at them as one of the weakest catching spots. And I think, you know, the numbers don't accurately capture everything a catcher does behind the plate. So that, that's fine. The other thing is center field um, where Chaz McCormick and uh, your cousin Jake Myers are pretty good defenders. It's not so certain about the bat. So I think that's why it's like, this is a very good team everywhere except here are some spots and also you're missing Justin Verlander. Who's the other team you think the projections are too low on? Because I'm excited about this one. <laughs> the other one I think that they're too low on is, is the Diamondbacks. And I think that yes. like the, the Diamondbacks are maybe be starting to get, they're almost like, I feel like, you know, baseball nerds are starting to like talk about them so much they might become like almost overrated, <laughs> like an overrated sleeper. I feel like everyone's talking about talking them up as a sleeper. But I mean, this is a fun, it's a fun lineup. It is a really fun lineup. You know, you, I mean, we've talked a lot about Corbin Carroll. I think they're similar to the reasons that like, I love Luis Arise. It's like, I'm excited about Corbin Carroll because I just don't think there's a lot of guys like him. This just, you know, speed with some gap power. I'm kind of reminded, like I'm hoping for, you know, the, the, the player I hope we're kind of getting is, you know, the, maybe like a peak Grady Sizemore for you, you know, for you kids out there. Grady Sizemore, or for you kids out there who might not remember Grady Sizemore for like three years in the mid to, mid 2000, like 2005, 2007 range was just like a force of nature, you know, hitting like 20 homers, 40 doubles, stealing 30 bases, just like dynamic player. And I think that that's kind of what we're hoping. Kendall Marte is another player who's kind of like that. And then, you know, Christian Walker, he hit 30, he quietly hit 36 home runs last year. Um, and then they added Lord Goriel, Evan Longoria is coming in. He's like, you know, going to be like their eighth hitter. So it's just a it's a fun lineup. And then at the top of the rotation, they've got Zach Gallon, who's a legit, like arguable ace. Pitching depth might then be an what? issue. <laughs> and then what? But it's a it's just a it's a fun lineup. So I think, you know, some of it's maybe a little bit of wish casting, because I think that this is a team that will score runs and do it in a in a dynamic way. Yeah. Did you even say Gabriel Moreno? I don't know, as the guy they got from I did not Toronto, even say, did not, not even say Gabriel Moreno. Right. They added in the uh, Dalton Varsho trade. Exactly right. I, I'm with you. Um, I don't even think you said Evan Longoria and Kyle I did, Lewis. I did, like, I did there's say, so I many did, guys here. I'm with you, but I, you said yeah, the, and for the, said and for the context. Right and for context, they are ranked 22nd in projected war right now, just ahead of the Cubs, behind the Marlins, Orioles, and Giants. And I think I'm I'm definitely more excited about them than I am the Giants. But you know, the Giants have also shown an ability to kind of like you know get weird performances out of mid-career veterans. So I guess we'll see. Uh, I'm with you because you said the right word, and that word you said was lineup. Because that's where I stop with them. This was the worst bullpen in baseball last year. They haven't really added anybody. Here, here's the top of their bullpen depth chart: Kevin Ginkle, Joe Mantiply, Mark Melanson, Miguel Castro, and then like. They have guys like Ryan Nelson is an interesting young guy. Dre Jamison's an interesting young guy. The quickest way to like steal some wins when you're in this uh, position is to have a, a good bullpen. Like this is what the Orioles did last year. The Orioles did not have a good rotation. They had an interesting lineup, not so good of a rotation. And all of a sudden they have dudes in the bullpen and they stop blowing these close games. That is where this team is going to fall short. Although I'm with you, I'm going to watch so much more Arizona baseball this year than I did last year. Might have been zero games last year, so it wouldn't be that hard to clear that part. But I'm, I'm with you. The team's going to be a lot more exciting. My team here is the Orioles. The Orioles are projected for 20th between San Francisco and Miami. And that may sound right. I think I'm going to go back to the vibes argument here, too. This was supposed to be the winter. The Orioles were going to go big, and they did not. They did not sign DeGrom. They did not sign Carlos Rodon. Their biggest free agent signing was Kyle Gibson, maybe it, it doesn't matter if that's actually right because it's kind of in the right ballpark there. 
And yet I'm higher on them um, than most, I think. Adley Rutschman, so we did our, our top 10 lists at MLB Network recently. I have him as the best catcher in baseball right now, ahead of Romeo too. I had Gunnar Henderson as my as a top 10 third baseman on my list. And there's like there's a really interesting and quirky and weird Gunnar Henderson stat I want to mention real quick. Uh, Michael Bauman at Fangrass actually wrote about this. Gunnar Henderson is in this weird Scott Rowland zone because this actually happened to Scott Rowland years ago. Um, Gunnar Henderson, correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, is going to be the number one prospect, right? And it will be pipeline. And he was, he was named number one prospect in baseball last, one, last week. Yes. Okay. Gunnar Henderson last year in the major leagues took 132 plate appearances and 116 at bats. Why should you care about the difference? Nobody should care about the difference. However, to be rookie eligible, a player must not have exceeded 130 at bats not played appearances. I've never understood why it's that. It's insane that we wouldn't count walks and stuff like those things don't matter. If it was played appearances, he is not rookie eligible. Since it's at bats, he is. He will be the favorite for the rookie of the year. He's the number one prospect where otherwise he'd be ineligible. I don't know if this matters to anybody except for myself and Michael Bauman, but it was so interesting and silly and ridiculous. I felt like it was worth mentioning because it's so weird. The whole point here is I think the Orioles have a, a very good bullpen still, not a fluke. Rutschman's here, great. Henderson was already up, and he looked really good in a short time up last year. Grayson Rodriguez is going to come up this year. The lineup is interesting. The starting rotation is adequate. John Means should be coming back. I, I like this team, even if they didn't make the big sexy move. I think a lot of it, and this is this is probably a good t- transition to our next, next point to talk about the MLB Top 100 prospects. A lot of it is going to depend on these prospects you talk about. I think Adley Rutschman, at this point, we can feel pretty good about, is a really good major league player. And Gunnar Henderson looked pretty good. And But then there's this whole other wave of guys. And if those guys continue to pop, this team is going to, you know, this team is going to make a lot of people forget that they didn't make the big moves this offseason because it's suddenly like, oh my goodness, they've got all these amazing rookies or second-year guys, and they're about to be a force for years to come. Our second topic here is the MLB Pipeline Top 100, uh, which just got released. And as I look at the list now, we just talked about the top two guys. Gunnar Henderson, number one. Corbin Carroll, number two. uh, Francisco Alvarez, number three. Jordan Walker, four. And Anthony Volpe, number five. It's always a fascinating list to to go and look. And um, all of our friends over at Pipeline, uh, Callis and Mayo, and um, Sam Dykstra, they do a great job putting that all together. The teams, if, if you look at the teams that have the most and fewest guys, it's really interesting, right? At the top of the list, the Orioles have eight, the Dodgers and the Guardians have seven apiece. They got there through the very different ways, because if you look at the bottom of the list, Atlanta has none, Houston has one, and so does KC and Toronto. It doesn't mean that they haven't developed players, it just means the players are here now, right? Like, if Spencer Strider and Michael Harris had spent another couple months in the minor leagues, they might rank highly on the list. Nobody in Atlanta is complaining that those guys came up to the big leagues and helped the big league team win win games. So you've always got to look at that through there's ups and downs. Like if you had a lot of great guys graduate to the majors, it's, it's not a bad thing. That's what the farm systems are supposed to do. But also you got the Dodgers still at the top or <laughs> second behind Baltimore. And I think it just goes to show you them in Cleveland as well. There's there's always just more coming through the Dodgers. Like the, the Orioles are at the top of the wave because a couple of years ago, their farm system was barren and they've rebuilt it. And yet the Dodgers just seem to always, always have more guys, which is why even though their offseason has been disappointing, I see the merit in saying we got to give Bobby Miller and Gavin Stone and Michael Bush and Miguel Vargas a shot. We got to see if this is the next Corey Seager, if this is the next Walker Bueller, whatever. And I'm, I'm kind of interested to see how those guys actually progress this year. 
And that's and that's what's perhaps most impressive about the Dodgers is they've been so good for so long that they've never really had high draft picks. I mean, you look at the Orioles that you know the Orioles have all of these you know eight, they have the most eight top one hundred prospects, and then you go down the list and you're like, okay, well, Gunn Henderson I think was a second round pick, Grayson Rodriguez first round pick, Jackson Holiday number one overall pick, Colton Kowser like top ten pick, uh, Heston Kirstad like top ten pick. Like these are all top draft picks, and to their credit, they're developing them as you would kind of expect based on where they were drafted. Whereas the Dodgers, they've basically been picking somewhere between 25 and 30 um, with, and ever since the last few years have the smallest bonus pool on the international. So the fact they're able to keep doing this despite all that is really a testament to their scouting and player development because they're clearly doing something way better than a lot of teams. And then as far as the Braves go, because I want to make a point about them, it's not just, you know, they have like, it's, there's the whole point of like, yeah, whatever, the big league team's good. Who cares about prospects? And it's not just that because like not only have they graduated all these prospects, they've locked them up. So it's like even if you had a bunch of other really good prospects, it's like, well, we have, you know, we basically have our, our center field and right field set for the next few years with Harris and Acuna who are locked up to long-term deals. Matt Olson in first base locked long-term deal. Oh, we just traded for Sean Murphy. He's locked up to a long-term deal. Ozzy Alba's still in contract. Austin Riley. So it's like even if they had good prospects, they would almost have nowhere to play them. And that's part, part of why also the last couple of off-seasons, they've traded away a lot of top prospects. They've made it, traded a bunch to get Matt Olson. They traded a bunch to get Sean Murphy. So... um it doesn't seem like a big issue on their end. They're almost kind of the, the opposite of the Dodgers where they've sort of built this great big league team and it's locked in with young players on long-term deals. Yeah, absolutely. And as I look at the list, most of the top 10, not most of the, at least the top seven is all going to graduate, I think. Henderson, Carol Alvarez, Jordan Walker, Anthony Volpe, Andrew Painter, and Grayson Rodriguez, I think we'll all get enough big league time this year, which means that the top remaining guys for next year would be uh, Milwaukee's Jackson Jerio and then Marcelo Meyer and then Ellie De La Cruz. It's going to be fun to look next year back and say, hey, where were those guys? Uh, were those guys even on our list? Our third topic, as I kind of said at the beginning, the hot stove is done. Free agency is completed, except there are guys out there. Michael Waka is maybe the most interesting of the guys still remaining who hasn't signed anywhere. And this is some, if you, if you look at his numbers, this is some real like, 2009 era stats arguments here if you're michael walker's agent you're going around to everybody saying yo my guy was 11 and 2 last year with a 332 era pitching at fenway park this is a guy who's had some success in his past like give me give me the contracts and if you're the teams you're saying yeah that's cool uh but the velocity actually was down and the strikeouts were down in the previous two innings he had a five or two seasons he had a 505 era and a 662 ERA, and I'm not sure we actually care about the 11 and 2 record. And then the agent would say, "Well, that's true, uh, but don't you trust him more than Matthew Boyd, who's never healthy and just got like one year and 10 million dollars? You're going to pay him more than that, right?" And the whole point is now it's February. Michael Walk is still unsigned, and I think this is the most easily predictable, confusing free agent case. I'm like positive I actually tweeted that in like September, and yet here he is, and there's like no movement. I I, I assume he's waiting for a spot or someone to step up. Yeah, at this point, you're probably waiting for an injury in spring training, which invariably will happen. And I still don't know if that will lead to a multi-year deal for him, but I guess you know we'll see. What you look, you go to his baseball savant page, and you know it's you look at the percentile rankings. By the way, I was reading, um, I think it was Joe Sheehan the other day, and he referred to those percentile rankings charts as lollipop charts. Have you ever heard that before? Yeah, Jeff Zimmerman of Fangrass likes to refer to them as patriotic lollipops because they're red, white, and blue, <laughs> which I, I respect. 
I had not heard them referred to as lollipops before, but I think that's kind of a good name for them because they do kind of look like lollipops. Anyway, if you look at Michael Walker's uh, lollipop charts, there is a lot of blue. Oh, we're not doing I know, that. I don't know. What? We're not doing that. We're not calling them lollipops. <laughs> well, if you look at the percentile rankings, there's a lot of blue. It's it's not it's not good. Um, and as you said, I mean, it's not just the ERA that's been bad. Even like, you know, the expected ERA, he has not had an expected ERA below four since 2017. And it's been above five in basically every, you know, in most years, it's been above five since then. So teams, are, and two. <laughs> teams, teams, you know, obviously they look at a lot of different things. Now, the flip side of that is like, you know, you're also, you see teams buying into Andrew Haney, who basically has never stayed healthy, but like last year when he pitched was very good. But then like two years ago on the Yankees, he was terrible. So it's just like, it's very interesting to see how different teams are valuing different pitchers. But Michael Walker is kind of what you see is what you get. And I wouldn't trust him to be anything more than a number five starter at this point. John Heyman of New York Post reported that the Angels were interested in Michael Walker, which makes sense. I think I'm pretty sure outside of Otani, I think their whole rotation is left-handed, if that's right. Not that that matters too much to me, but I think it's true. Uh, he reported they've been in touch on Michael Walker, Elvis Andrews, Gary Sanchez, Andrew Chafin, Zach Britton. There's only so many roster spots in the world. They're not actually going to sign all those guys. But I like the idea of the Angels with Waka and these other guys as they've gone from history's greatest like stars and scrubs team where it's you know two all-time superstars and nobody else and they never win anything to now signing all of the guys that you remember like they've already added brandon drury and tyler anderson and brett phillips and carlos estevas and Gio urshela and hunter renfro and it's going to be a better team and they don't have a shortstop they could still add a right-handed pitcher i say they go for all of the guys i want a room full of guys and then you know two gods um because i feel like there's more work to do there the the le- I, I had not noticed the left-handed pitcher thing. You're right; it's true. It's kind of weird because also remember they have a six-man rotation, so it's Otani and five. <laughs> so that's the kind of thing that if you, I mean, I think the, this is a, a a problem the Angels would love to have. But like, if you get to a playoff series and all you have is left-handed starters, that could be a little weird. But I think the Angels will cross that bridge if they come to it. And if the Angels are 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 contending in the middle of the season, they are almost guaranteed to try and trade for a. Um, for a uh, for a uh, another uh, probably a starting pitching upgrade, but uh, yeah, I don't know where Walker will land. But uh, yeah, at Baltimore, I don't know. Uh, maybe somewhere. I guess we need the World Baseball Classic to happen and spring training camps to start and teams to be like, I guess we're kind of short on a veteran starter. We're gonna take a quick break and we will come back and we will wrap up with a topic about next year's top ten players. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We are back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast, Mike Petriello and Matt Myers. As we've talked about a couple of times, uh, myself, Sarah Langs, uh, Vince Gennaro, 
We have been spending time over MLB Network this winter doing top 10 right now at every position. Super fun. I've been doing it for like nine years. The last one just wrapped up, uh, just aired yesterday, I think, actually. Our colleague, Brian Murphy, uh, went through each of the positions and he said, well, uh, I'm going to take guys who didn't make the official list. Not necessarily my list or Sarah's list or Vince's list. There's like the official MLB Network list generated by the Shredder, which is like their own homebrewed projection system. And I'm going to find guys who didn't make that list. And I'm going to project the guys I think will be on the top 10 list next year. Now, I have a bias here in that I think Brian did a good job because some of the guys did already make my list, even though they weren't on the official list. Do you think I wouldn't have Vinny Pasquantino on my list? Did you know that if you look at the uh, the steamer projections for next year, they have him projected as like a top 20 hitter in baseball? I don't know if I'm ready to say that, but the plate discipline, the strikeouts, hits the ball hard and um he just seems like a tremendous dude i don't know if you followed his adventures to like jets games all, all winter long he's popped up on like every podcast everywhere except for ours i guess somehow talking about hitting uh you don't have to talk me into Vinny pasquantino too hard because i think when we were doing like our guy you need to know he was the first ever minor league guy i had picked <laughs> and that worked out okay yeah, well, I think, you know, one thing that you know, the Shredder, if I'm not mistaken, uses stats from the previous two seasons. So guys who debuted last year probably get penalized a little bit. Um, so like Vinny Pasquantina has no data from 2021 to build off of. So maybe if, you know, there was something there that even even just like average stats from that year, he might have made the top 10. But yeah, he I, seems like one for sure yeah, I, who's going to I can explain going to, this. Not to, not to totally cut you off, but I can explain this. He fell, I think, two plate appearances short of being eligible. Right. They have like a minimum you have to even have. And he, he had 298 plate appearances. So he still would have been hurt by the year before. But it's not like Julio Rodriguez didn't make the list from not playing the previous year. That's all. But anyway, I think he's too low. I had him number seven. Next year, I hope he's number one. Yeah. A few other names on this list that um, that uh, that Brian had. He had Cal Raleigh, a catcher, um, who I believe you had your, who had your, your top 10. And that feels like a, a reasonable assumption uh, based on the year he had last year when he became like, you know, a, a, a linchpin of that Mariners offense and like a big, a, a key part of that team. And really, you know, one of the better power hitting catchers in the game. Big dumper. Yeah. No, I had him at uh, number seven on my list. And I think as Brian wrote, he had like an elite barrel rate, right? Barrels, perfect combo of exit velocity and launch angle. And um, based on guys who had as many batted balls as he did, he was top 10, which it's so hard to find catcher offense. Um, I think the other guy that he mentioned that didn't make the official list uh, that did make mine. Well, there were two guys, right? Uh, Jeremy Pena. I had, even though I find him a little bit overrated because so many people are like, well, he won the World Series MVP. And I'm like, I great, I don't care. I didn't have Jorge Soler on my list the previous year either. Like, that's not a meaningful input to me. Um, but he, he's very good. And then, guy I think we've already talked about a couple times, Corbin Carroll, who didn't play enough to make the official list. But I, I put him on my list because the defense is great. The power looked great. The speed is like top of the charts. And because this isn't like an out of nowhere guy, this isn't, who am I trying to remember? Uh, Aristides Aquino, right? You remember that month, like three years ago, where out of nowhere he hits like 38 home runs from a, not I want to say a non-prospect, but not like a highly rated prospect and then never hit again. Corbin Carroll is sort of like Adley Rutschman. And then he was a top draft pick, not number one overall or anything, but very highly regarded, did nothing but perform in the minors, continued to be a highly regarded prospect, and then performed in the majors. Like that track record matters to me in the sense of I got a little more confidence that this guy's actually going to be a thing and not like a Brian LaHare flash in the pan here. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, going back to your guy, your guy Pena, and I think he's, I mean, when we think about the Astros projection I referenced, that's another guy probably where in my head, 
I'm like, oh, Jeremy Pena, he's good, where the projections are probably a lot more skeptical of him. And I think he's one of the most interesting players in baseball coming into this year. He obviously was amazing in the postseason last year. He's extremely charismatic, very likable, a guy you definitely want to root for. But then you look at his splits last year, and people have kind of forgotten that he had a 267 OBP in the second half of last year. Like, he walked eight times in the second half of last year with a really high swing strike rate. And it's, you know, just from a pure, like, cold-hearted, like, analytical standpoint, I'm really not sure what to expect from Jeremy Pena this year. Like, he, he, it's unclear if he is a, you know, his defense is good enough that he's probably, you know, an average player no matter what. But, like, some people, I think he's being viewed as, like, a, oh, a future star, and I'm not sure he's that. Because he won World Series MVP. Exactly. <laughs> people overrate. I had him number 10 on my list coming for the season. Here's the guys I had him ahead of. Uh, Tommy Edmond, Bobby Witt Jr., uh, Tim Anderson. Uh, you could make an argument for any of those guys, I think, above them. But at that point, it's almost a crapshoot. You know, guys like 9 to 13 on these lists are almost always tied in some way. We get too caught up on the binary on... Um, or not on but anyway it's 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 fun to see like which of these guys could be there next year like we're we are living through a very exciting time of you know prospecting and um, young baseball talent and i think the further we get away from the missed 2020 season i think like the, the minor league season the more you're going to see that and i know i'm going to watch a lot of corbin carroll and vinnie pasquatino this year that'll do it for this week's podcast don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. See you next week. Ballpark Dimensions.